you're between the ages of four and eight, you're excused to kids club. So I want to make a brief comment, which is partly for your edification and partly to the reality that over the last couple of months, we have people randomly all over the world listening to our podcast. So this is the only chance I actually get to talk to a podcast listener and say, if you listen to us and you happen to be in England, Portugal, Maine, Massachusetts, Idaho, or any number of the variety of places that I have no idea why you're listening to us, if you'd send us an email, we'd love to know how you found out. You can find our email address at calvarychurchvg.com. Thank you. There's my little thing, my spiel. Well, we are really glad you're here this morning. We welcome you and hope you're having a great Memorial Day weekend. As we as a country remember those who died defending our freedom, and I hope you'll take advantage of that freedom sometime over the next couple of days and enjoy it. This morning we're starting a new series working through the parables taught by Jesus. History had no greater storyteller than Jesus himself. He told his disciples stories, he told the crowd stories, he told everybody stories. And the brilliance about Jesus is that the stories he told always escalated into something more. They weren't like the stories we tell. I don't know if you're like me, but the stories I tell end up being an escalation of my stories better than your story. I caught a bigger fish. The bear I saw was larger, whatever this looks like. But Jesus told stories that had a point. He used them as a teaching device. He taught in parables. A parable is a word, literally means to put things side by side or to throw something alongside it. It was a method that Jesus employed over and over and over to teach the disciples and the crowds a message, to give them an illustration and to make a point. And we'll find as we walk through it this summer, we're going to look at 11 of them, that primarily Jesus used these to teach his disciples And he did so in a way around crowds, which was an interesting way to do it. He desired to make the truth about the kingdom known. Some of these parables are short and simple. Some of them are long and complex. And depending on how you want to define a parable, you can find between 37 and 65, we're going to look at 11. And in fact, to make it even simpler, we're going to look at 11 out of the Gospel of Matthew, really allow us to hone in on it. Erdman's Bible Dictionary defines a parable this way, just to give you a technical definition. Always makes me sound smart. The parables of Jesus in the synoptic gospels are similes or metaphors, sometimes extended into narratives, which involve everyday life and objects and typical events of households, farms, and royal courts. They are a primary means of Jesus' teaching, closely connected to the main focus of his teaching, the coming of the kingdom of God. So what we're going to find this summer as we walk into these stories about farming, which you'll quickly realize I don't know anything about, we'll find stories about houses and royal courts and banquets. I don't know anything about those either. But we're going to lean into this because what Jesus does here is he begins to teach the people about the kingdom of God, something I do know a little bit about. And we're going to dive into his word to see what Jesus would teach his disciples and ultimately he'd teach us. So this morning, if you've got a Bible with, a, with you, turn to Matthew 13. If you don't, there's a Red Pew Bible in front of you. We'd love for you to grab it. Turn to page 818. You can beat your buddies to the page. A little sword drill where you get a cheater note. 
As we turn to this, we're starting with what is commonly regarded as the first parable that Jesus taught in the book of Matthew. You would note that it's actually replicated both in Mark and Luke, but because we're in Matthew, we're going to stay in Matthew. This is, what Matthew, this is how this starts out, Matthew 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. The great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Peter starts off this story by telling you that it's the same day, and this ties us back to chapter 12. What you find in chapter 12 is the crowds have been following Jesus all day long, and particularly their religious types, the crowd, the scribes, the Pharisees, and, and they've been trying to bait Jesus into hard conversations, baiting him with loaded questions. And so perhaps Jesus took a break from this. We know in verse 1, he comes out of a house and goes to the sea. So he's taking a break. He's coming back to them. And now he's going to give them a couple of very, very full parables. And to do so, Jesus employs an interesting technique. He sits on a boat on water. Now why that becomes interesting is Jesus understood something about physics that as a country we didn't learn until a couple hundred years ago. And that's that voices naturally amplify over water. Now, they may have understood that as a theory, but it's always fun when physics backs up the Bible. So if you get on a boat, you back up a little bit, your voice carries further, you don't need a microphone. And days without amplification allowed you to teach a much, much greater crowd. So that's what Jesus does here. He sets himself up to teach a crowd of people. And in verse 3, he starts this way. He says, he told them many things in parables. And again, this morning, we're going to cover one. Saying, a sower went out to sow. Simply put, Jesus says, a farmer goes out to cast seed. I should tell you now, as a youth pastor, I once illustrated this by throwing seed all over a room. Unfortunately, I hit several people in the eye. Didn't go over very well. Made a colossal mess, so I'm sparing you that especially the Heinzes, lest we have to vacuum seed for hours. But this is what Jesus continues to say. A farmer casts seed out, and as he sowed, verse 4, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus tells a parable, and no doubt you've read this, heard this, studied this before. Jesus tells a parable, a farmer goes out to spread seed. In fact, if you lean into the text, you find that this sower is sowing extraordinarily graciously. He's throwing it everywhere. Perhaps that's why I got in trouble as a youth pastor. He's throwing it everywhere to make sure that there's plenty out there. And of course, that's not the thrust of the parable. The parable points to the soil rather than the sower. But it is worth noting, Jesus points us to the soil And so we note that there are four kinds of soil, four different ways in which the seed was received. The same sower, four kinds of soil. And the disciples, who are always quick on their feet, ask this question in verse 10. Why do you speak in parables? 
And if we piece all of this together with all the other Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark, because we'll flip back and forth a little bit, we find an interlude happens that as Jesus is teaching in parables, he teaches all day. And then later his disciples come back and ask him these questions. Matthew puts this together, sews this together for us so that we can have one continuous conversation about it. But Mark 4.10 says, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve ask him about the parables. That's how you know there's an interlude here. But it's still a good question. Why do you speak in parables? So Jesus answers them in verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And what Jesus does here in his explanation of why parables is the same thing that I would say to you is why parables? And the answer is this. Jesus says to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says, I want to teach you about the kingdom. I want to reveal myself to you And at the same time, they will not understand. It actually becomes one of the clearest pictures of the intent of Jesus' ministry if you were to study through the whole book of Matthew. And by the way, that's well worth your time. It's one of the things I'm going to be doing all summer long is just rereading the book of Matthew. Because one of the things you get studying through the book of Matthew is that Jesus' ministry was never about the crowds. It was always about the twelve. It was always about training his disciples. Over and over and over again, you see Jesus pushing away the crowds and training his disciples. That's why he teaches in parables. Because it pushed away the crowds so he could train his disciples. Friends, we can too easily buy into a concept or a ministry where we think it's about numbers, we think it's about a crowd, without growing and discipling people. And Jesus' efforts... We're growing and discipling people. That's the thrust you find throughout the whole book of Matthew. That Jesus was into training his disciple far more than the crowds. So he repels the crowds and pours into his disciples. And when he says, I've given you the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, he's telling him, I've given you understanding. You know who I am. And they don't. That's why he's teaching them. Otherwise, quite literally, he might be throwing his pearls to the swine. It's easy to gather a crowd you preach one way. Much harder you disciple people. Jesus continues in verse 12 to tell them, For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, not not even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And if you step into his explanation, it seems harsh. Until you remember that the crowd was full of scribes and Pharisees. Men who'd set out their lives to know religion. To know all the rules. To follow all of the rules. To know what God's word said and to follow it step by step while at the same time standing in judgment over people. Jesus says about this group of people, they see, but they don't see. They've heard, but they don't understand. So he's teaching and putting before his disciples this idea that if you have understanding, you will get more. And that's Christianity at its heart. When you know grace, when you understand what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross, 
the sufficiency of it, the depth of that only goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in a way the world will never understand. Never. And so he puts that before them. Those who understand will have more, and those who don't, won't. Why? Because Jesus didn't lower the bar. He didn't beg people to follow him. Jesus spoke to them in parables because he knew that those who followed him would understand and would be given greater understanding and those who didn't, wouldn't. And so he fulfills prophecy and explains prophecy given in Isaiah 6. Continuing in verse 14, indeed in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For these people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. What Jesus says out of Isaiah is, if they would understand, I would give them understanding. But they don't, so they won't. So he contrasts it with the disciples in 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see. And hear what you have heard, but did not hear. What Jesus says to his disciples is just as true for you. That you have been given understanding. You know the gospel. You've seen the mysteries of the gospel unfold. And you're blessed for it. Because many have longed for it and never saw it, and you see it. And so having explained to him the why of parables, he gives them the what. And the next five verses walks them through what this one means. 19, he says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. By the way, there are two parables named parables in the Bible. This being one of them that are titled the parable of the sower. Hence why we'd call it the parable of the sower. Jesus called it that. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and friends, this is always the basis of kingdom understanding, that you hear the word, that you hear the word. In Ephesians 1, you find that to be true, that believing in Jesus Christ is hearing the word and believing it. We walked through that in our last series that belief in Jesus to be born again is to hear the word of Jesus Christ and believe it. It, It's the nature of things. So when Jesus explains this, he says, whenever anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and here's the switch, and does not understand it, there's no understanding, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, that this is, this, this is what was sown along the path. That this sower who has cast seed generously, cast it everywhere, even allowing it to land on the path where these people have no understanding, Satan comes, comes along and snatches the seed. According to the text, the seed is sown. According to the text, it's even sown in his heart. But there's no understanding. And then the second soil in verse 20, this is how Jesus explains it. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, 
This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Jesus says here that the seed is sown, it's received, it endures, and look at his words, then hardship arises because of the word. Literally, it says here, when he falls away, this word becomes, he becomes offended by it. That's what it says in Greek. That you would reach a point where there's an offense, like, I can't believe this any longer. You know this, I worked with college students for many years, and there'd always come a point with a handful of them when they'd say something like, well, my God would never say that. Was it, is it your God or is it the God of the Bible? Because if you want to argue your God versus the Scriptures, we've got some issues. It's easy for some to be offended by it falling away. The third soil, which Jesus explains, and as for what was sown amongst the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfaithful. According to Jesus, the word is sown, the word is heard, it takes root, it distinguishes it from the one before, but then the weeds choke it out. The cares of the world, provisions. And in fact, he goes so far as to say the deceitfulness of riches. That we could go so far as to think that riches might be fulfilling for us, that it might be the thing that was to sustain us or carry us. This is Jesus speaking. That it might be the deceitfulness of riches that would choke out the word in our life and make it unfruitful. And finally, Jesus gives us the good soil in verse 23. And for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The seed is sown in this case. The word is heard. There is understanding and it bears fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And guys, I don't know farming. There are many guys in this church who could preach this far better than me. But from what I understand, that a hundredfold on a seed is not necessarily awesome. That you look at that and you think a hundredfold is like peeking out. And according to the Old Testament, as you read through that, that's not as exactly the most incredible fruit bearing that's ever happened. But the point is that there's fruit. In some cases, a hundredfold, 60, 30. It's not like he's pointing out the most incredible example, the best example, and a good one. He's put three examples before you, but it's far more possible that it would bear far greater than that. And in this context and culture, people would have understood that. So what do we do with this parable? How do we read it? How do we understand it? And how do we live in light of it? First, I think it's impossible for us to consider this parable without at least considering the question, what kind of soil am I? I think it's the first question it begs. What happened to the gospel? What happened to the gospel seed in my life? Did it take root? 
Have I understood it? Or am I merely going through the motions? Friends, I could put survey upon survey upon survey before you that would put out the the number of people who claim Jesus Christ in this country, but yet who do not claim his word is authoritative, who do not claim his word has any power in their lives, you could step into that and say churches all over this country are filled with people who do not know the gospel, who do not understand it, but just walk through the motions. Their lives are fruitless because the seed hit the pavement and Satan snatched it away. Was it possible that there was a season where you got really excited about Jesus? But now it's behind you. And now you're sure if it's not even true. Is it possible you had a really strong start? That for a year or two, maybe three, you were hard after pursuing Jesus Christ. I've watched this happen time and time after again. College students passionate about Jesus, graduate, get a job, and put him on the shelf. Friends, this happens a lot. We, get, we, we struggle with the challenges of keeping up with work, with keeping up with family, and it all chokes out of us. Or are you the good soil? You've heard the word that Jesus Christ died for your sins, You've believed in the power of His death and as of His resurrection. You understand that you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. That gospel seed has only grown in you. It's only produced fruit in you. Sure, your life isn't perfect, but it's bearing out maybe a hundredfold, maybe sixtyfold, maybe thirty. Again, I point out to you, this is a farming analogy. I don't know much about it. Lenny or Wayne or Aaron could give way better stories of this. But I can tell you this. It's never too late to tend a field. It's never too late to weed a field, to water a field. It's never too late to do soil work. It's never, ever too late to trust Jesus. Because frankly, I think one of the challenges when you step into this, is to hear the question, what did you do with the gospel seed? But I think the next necessity is to ask yourself, how are you tending your garden? Because you can change what kind of soil you have. If you dig into the parable, the sower is the same, the seed is the same, it's the soil that matters. How are you tending your garden? What are you doing with the Word of God now in your life? Because you may have started so poorly and could finish so incredibly. You may have started out quickly and died off. But friends, today is a great day to return back to the harvest. You may have had a fast two or three years start and it's faded, it's been choked out. And this morning we've got a great weed whacker for you. We'd like to clear out some things for you. To put the gospel back into your heart and into your life. That our gardens would be bearing fruit. That they'd be growing. I spent years as a youth pastor. One of the fascinating things is watching all of these stories bear out. In fact, I've thought for a while that there are stories that get put in the Bible just for ministers. 
because you start to see you watch this lived out in people's lives. I've known students who just flash out of the gate. They're coming out 150 miles an hour. And then you never see them again. Or people who are incredibly passionate. They're all in on whatever this is for a season. And then they just fade off. Hard. Hard is the path where a man or woman gives their life to Christ and faithfully reproduces Jesus for a lifetime. I'm not saying you're called to be perfect. I'm just calling us to tend our gardens a little bit. That we might be a people who want to be mindful of what's going on in our souls. Do we need to water? Do we need to weed? What does it look like for us to tend our gardens? I think that's part of reading this parable. But I think the more direct part of it, I think is Jesus teaching His disciples. Because that's the thrust of the book of Matthew. I think this is the more direct point that Jesus is getting at. Because He's teaching His disciples. He's preparing them to take the message of salvation to the world that they would be kingdom builders. So Jesus prepares them having assessed their own fruitfulness, He prepares them to go into the world knowing that there's going to be at least four responses to truth. And friends, as you live out your life, as you live out the gospel in your life, having been redeemed and having been made an image bearer, that you would become a seed sower and that you would sow broadly. That you'd speak the gospel to those in your lives. Some who you think it'll be fruitful. Some you know it won't be. But that you'd sow seed. Knowing full well that some of it will land on the path. And there'll be no discernible response. Knowing full well that some of it. That there'll be people along the way that you'll pour into. And that out of the gate they'll start running. And then they'll fall flat on their face. Because they don't get rooted and some will start even stronger and get choked out by the weeds and some will be the good soil and you're seeing their lives growth and fruit and a crop i think what jesus was doing in these men's lives was preparing them as he was sending them out to know that as a seed sower there's going to be lots of responses so our hope is not in the fruits It's in the sower. It's in God. That our confidence is not in the fruits. It's in God. That our call here is to be faithful, not necessarily to be fruitful. It's God who takes care of the fruits. Friends, sowers, sow broadly and take courage that Jesus taught his disciples that they wouldn't always be fruitful. So broadly, and remember according to Jesus, it was the same sower with the same seed that produced different results. And from that we can gather, it's not the quality of the sower. And hear this, it's not about you. Now, we need to pursue righteousness 
We need to pursue holiness. But it's not about you when you're rejected. It's not about you when it's cast away. It's not about you when people turn their backs. And it's not about the quality of the seed. Hear this. It's not about your ability to say it correctly. That we should grow in our abilities to communicate the gospel. Friends, what you're called to do here is to sow broadly everywhere. You know, one of the sweet things that's happened in my life over the last couple months, having walked through 1 Peter and our series called Living in Hope, is we called us as a church to live out the gospel even to the point would be uncomfortable, dare I say awkward. And I challenged us to all have some of those moments where we'd step in and we might feel awkward about it. Do you know how many cool text messages and emails I've gotten over the last three weeks of somebody writing me and saying, hey man, I had my awkward moment today. Man, I sure didn't want to bring up Jesus, but I knew I should. Thanks for the reminder. I can't tell you how many cool stories I've heard in the last couple of weeks. Friends, I want to encourage that amongst you. Have awkward conversations because it's worth it. And what Jesus teaches his disciples in this moment is those awkward conversations you might have is sowing seed. We don't get the right to decide they're not worth my time. We don't get the right to decide he's not worth hearing this. We don't get to decide they won't accept this. We get to decide, will I be faithful? Because these sowers who sowed and whose lives yield 160, 30, they had no idea where they're casting seed. They're casting it broadly, knowing that some of it falls in great soil, some of it falls on rocky paths, some of it falls amongst the weeds, and some of it lands in good soil. I absolutely love the story that Tim Hughes shared. That people believed because other people told them. And people believed because other people told them. Church, we miss that fact. We can too readily buy into the fact that my dad or my mom told me about Jesus, so I assume everyone's mom and dad tells them about Jesus, that Jesus becomes a heretical thing. Not heretical, genetic. It's different. That that people find out genetically about Jesus. No, people find out about Jesus because people tell them about Jesus. We'll find that in another parable. That Jesus isn't genetically passed on. Somebody tells you about Jesus, and then you tell others about Jesus. You so broadly because somebody else did. Friends, we're called to be faithful. To be faithful sowers and let the Lord of the harvest take care of everything else. Jesus says, pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out the workers. And who are they? Oh, dear church, please raise your hand. I'm waiting. Not enough. Not enough. You're the only person here that knows everyone you know. How's it going to get to them? You. Sow the seed broadly. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, thank you so much 
that in Jesus Christ you gave us salvation. In Jesus Christ, not only did you give us a Savior, but you gave us a model. Someone we could follow. That Jesus, by his life, built into people. And that Jesus, even by his model, even in his model, there were struggles. Judas wasn't faithful. Father, I pray that as a church, you would call us to be faithful about broadly casting seed. That we would put the gospel out everywhere. And that we'd be faithful about it. And that as we do, we'd know full well that many won't accept it at all. That there'd be some that would accept it even for a short season and then walk away. Some might go on a long run with you for a while and then step off the plank. And that has nothing to do with us, everything to do with the gospel. Father, I pray that you'd call us to be more and more and more faithful in casting seed everywhere. Father, just as you trained your disciples, you're training us. And Father, we give you thanks for that. Thank you for the words of Christ. It's in his name and through his name we pray. Amen.